It's Wednesday, April 12th, 2015, and you're listening to episode 375 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 47 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. This is Brodor. My name is Pat. That's right. It's not just me today. Pat's now, here, and now the chair isn't the reason my ass hurts. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> there is something terrible I do to these guys every week, or every week they're here, which is the chairs around the recording table are straight out of the Middle Ages. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're terrible. They are designed to hurt you. And I'm going to replace them someday. Oh, I've already replaced one. I know. <laughs> I brought my own chair today, and it's actually quite comfortable. The only part of me that isn't fat is my ass. It's bony, and this is uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, those chairs suck. Chad is always threatening to just show up with an office chair. <laughs> yeah? It's a great thing about Chad's threats, though. He has no memory. <laughs> and so the likelihood of him even remembering these threats, much less following through on them, is about zilch. All right, so we got a ton of giveaways going on. So let me work through these one at a time. First of all, you're in the last couple days of the Battletech giveaway for the starter box set. If you want a shot at that, all you need to do is follow Fear the Boot on Twitter and tweet to the Fear the Boot account, hashtag Gen Con 2015, and either your favorite mech or just tell us you don't know enough about Battletech to have a favorite mech. That's fine, too. And we will get those collated and we will get some winners out of that. All right, I got two other things here we're giving away. Well, one thing and one category of things. And I have decided that since Chris is having to collate all the entries on the Battletech thing, because Chris is the one who does most of the work on our Twitter account, mm-hmm. I do maybe 5 or 10%. Chris is the other 90 95%. So I've decided I'm going to reward Chris by letting him be absolutely capricious. So Chris will get to decide however he wants to give away... The following things. First off, I have five Xbox arcade codes that I got from Tex. I've got Motocross Madness, Battle Block Theater, Mark of the Ninja, Dungeon Fighter Live Fall of Hendon Meyer. Sounds like the name of an actor. Hmm. And Orcs Must Die. And then the sixth thing, if I'm counting those right, that we'll give away, is I want to thank the listener Nathan Julius Gottschalk, I'm guessing on the last name here, but... Is he a war criminal? Yes. And from what era? (laughs) Let's just say he has spent some time in Argentina laying low. (laughs) But he has been kind enough to donate to us a humble bundle copy of Dark Souls, the Prepare to Die edition. This is a PC game. Okay, so the other ones were Xbox games. This is a PC game. I'm going to give these codes to Chris, and Chris is going to decide how to give them away. I don't know if he's just going to say, hey, first person to tweet me gets a code. I don't know if he's going to say, person who gives me the funniest joke in the next 12 hours gets one. I don't know what he's going to do. But Chris will be giving these away over our Twitter account, so follow him on Twitter at Fear the Boot for those as well. And whatever contest we do next, uh, you have my word, it won't be on Twitter. Dan, so, what do they get if they send Chad horrible Doctor Who slash fic? Probably nothing, because I'm slow to check my email. With Chad, it's much more consistent. I just He just doesn't really read it, so <laughs> there's no point. It's like screaming into a canyon. What I, if they're pictures, though? Send him pictures. I don't think he would even see it. No, what you've <laughs> got to do with Chad is you don't send it to his email. You post it on his Facebook. 
then he'll see it immediately. Yeah, the best canine Doctor Who slash fic you can come up with. Yeah. I to like Chad. It. So, speaking of canine <laughs> slash fic, <laughs> this will be a great transition. So, so today we're going to talk about villains. All right, we want to talk a little bit about some of the kinds of villains and some ideas for villains. We came up with a whole list of categories of villains in terms of what motivates them. Because as a game master, when you're prepping your games, now not all games have a single villain. Some of them may have multiple villains. Depending on the type of conflict, there may not even be a designed villain. The source of strife might be the environment. It might be other players. It might be the characters dealing with their own struggles. There are all kinds of stories you can tell. But if we presuppose you are telling a story that has one or more antagonistic NPCs in it, then let's talk about designing those people. Now, we came up with a whole list of categories here that can serve as ideas for what to model these villains after, for the kinds of things that make somebody bad or make somebody antagonistic toward you. And we hope some of these will be inspiration, maybe draw you away from your ruts. But before we get into that, I want to stop by focusing on something that we've talked about before on this show, which is if you're trying to make a compelling NPC, if you're trying to make an enemy that your players actually care about, I fully believe you've got to treat that person just like you would any other character, by which I mean you've got to give them three things. One is a personality or motivations. The second is a history that describes how that motivation came to be. And the third, and this is the one that I think gets overlooked a lot, is a connection to the party. Now, that connection could be that whatever they're doing goes against what the party stands for, so the party's going to fight them. But it could also be something much more personal. They know the party from somewhere. There's some event that they've shared together. There's some goal that they're both chasing at the same time. They're related to the party. I had a villain in a D&D game that was Chad's uncle. Yeah, I love the idea of villains that at least one character has to think twice about killing if they get to the kill point. You may have half the party that just wants this guy dead, but that there's some personal connection that has at least one party member trying to keep them alive. Because hmm. that just amuses me. I mean, it's, it's seeing that dichotomy of one person basically trying to talk everyone else down. Right. And there's a scene of that in well-known media, which is many, but the one that comes to my mind first is Luke refusing to kill Vader. I mean, part of it's because he doesn't want to fall to the dark side, but part of it's his own dad. And he even says to him multiple times, I know there's still something good in you. You know, I know you've not gone completely over. But the first time Han runs into Vader, he tries to kill him. Yeah. I mean, he's not successful, but he shoots at him. That's interesting. I must admit, as a game master, I have had a variety of different villain types through the course of my gaming career that I've had as NPCs. But the closest I have come is in a Midnight campaign. Two of the party members were siblings, and their father was one of the minions of Shadow, a low-level magistrate, blah, blah, blah. But that story arc never came to fruition for various reasons that I won't bore the audience with. I have not done a strict connection from villain or nemesis to parties specifically like that. Well, sometimes that connection can also be developed in the game. For example, the villain doesn't start out a villain. Well, let's say it's not a villain, it's an antagonist. But the antagonist does not start off antagonistic to the party. They don't know enough about each other. The points where they're going to contradict each other have simply not occurred yet. And that's another great way to get people familiar with the villain, to get them caring about the villain, because... The shared history is not something just on paper in the backgrounds. It's something that's actually occurred in the game. 
Something else that I regularly mine for villain ideas is character backstories. When I'm having people make their characters, I say, look, give me your backstory, and I want you to give me two or three open-ended hooks in here I can work with. And I'll oftentimes look those over and say, you know what, there's a great opportunity here to bring someone into conflict with the party. And maybe they're not black and white evil. You know, generally speaking, I'm not a big fan of black and white evil. I prefer the moral nuances and the difficult questions where you can kind of see they got a point. And that doesn't describe all villains. You know, Dan, the connection when you were mentioning, that's something I've seen a lot in different media where the characters don't know it. So let's say you have people that have alternate identities. The example I'm going to give is uh, Batman Returns where you have Batman and Bruce Wayne, and then you have Selina Kyle and Catwoman. And Bruce Wayne and Selina Kyle have the conversation and then realize who the other one is. And they have that moment of, so do we start fighting now? I've seen that in a lot of media where when they take off the masks, they don't realize that this is their arch nemesis. I think that could be done very well in a game. I've just never tried it. Now, see, what Dan was talking about earlier, having relationships that get established that grow then the ties between them sever for one reason or another and then they become on opposite sides of things i've had that occur in a number of different games all right so let's talk about some of the categories of villains and we came up with a bunch here there's about a dozen or 18 of these so let's start working through these the first one we came up with is the force of nature so where i think this works best is a character-driven story where the force of nature is the villain that's driving it, but the purpose and the focus is on the characters. So a force of nature, if I look at one of my favorite comic book stories of all time, The Death of Superman, what did that tell you about the villain, the force of nature, Doomsday? Nothing at all. He was a force of nature. What did it tell you about Superman? He is willing to step up to make the sacrifice. Right. And if you look at all of my favorite zombie stories... It's not about the zombies. There's something that's there. They're the force of nature. It's about the characters interacting with each other. That's the salient point, is that the backdrop of the force of nature is the reason why we have strife and struggle. But the opportunity for interaction and character development is really the important driving yeah. factor for, yeah. for that. If you try to play the force of nature villain as this is your plot, is this force of nature... I think you're going to have a horrible story and people aren't going to jump onto it. I agree. And just to define this real quick for anyone who's not familiar with the phrase, by force of nature, we mean specifically a villain or a source of distress that cannot be reasoned with. It simply is. It's just doing what it does. You can't argue with it. Other examples would be the Terminator. I mean, there's that whole speech about he can't be reasoned with. He doesn't feel pity or remorse or whatever the spiel is. Uh, the Tyranid from 40K are a force of nature. The zombies, I think, is a great example of the force of nature. Yeah. They simply are. I think you're absolutely right, Wayne, because I mean, I suppose there might be some way to make that force of nature interesting, to make it such that trying to learn how it came to be and why it's doing this might be interesting. Well, if you look at the Terminator movies, they've definitely expanded it into enough that, that shows you can do it. Yeah. But when you look at the original concept and the movie... The real character moments didn't come interacting with the Terminator. No. They came between the characters that are running for their lives. What's interesting about Terminator, and I think alien invasion stories or things of like things of that nature, is that with Terminator, you have force of nature, and then you have the later on the list villain example of Skynet. 
Yeah. So you have one villain begets another type of villain, which I think is interesting. And I think it's a lot of good role play opportunity there as well. And I love that. I love the idea of because I mix and match villains. You know, I will if you have the mastermind type villain that will generate a force of nature to go after them. So the real plot and motivation that you get to that is on the character in the background. The force of nature is, you know, more to drive the players. Yeah, and I think there's an important side note there that kind of ties back to what we were talking about when we were setting up the idea of villains, is that villains do not have to be a single axis by themselves. You know, there can be a villain who generates villains, a villain who works with other villains, or even once, you know, the real world's a complex place. This could be villains who work with good guys or good guys who work with villains or a whole lot of people along the spectrum of gray, maybe some of which are more acceptable than others. Well, let's go back to the generic beaten to death example of the Internet with the Nazis, Albert Speer, Hitler's architect. Right. And I don't mean architect of the final solution. I mean, literally, the guy designed buildings. OK, uh, obviously, he had a really poor choice of company. But was he in and of himself that hideous of an individual compared to the people around him? Independent contractors on the Death Star. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Nicely put. Exactly. All right. The second one we came up with, or second type, is the unstoppable villain. All right. So that it's possible you can reason with them. But there is really no way you can defeat them. And I think this is another one where I think the story in many ways has to be about the characters and it can't be too much about the villain. Because if you introduce an antagonist or a villain, anytime you have a source of conflict in the story, the driving factor of the story is trying to overcome that point of conflict. If you're caught up in a powerful storm, it's how do you survive the storm or escape the storm? If you are having some kind of internal struggles, well, how do you eventually find that peace within yourself? And an unstoppable villain obviously can't be stopped. There will be no point in the story where the characters can defeat this villain truly. And so if you set that up as what appears to be the driving force and the goal of the plot, you're just going to frustrate the hell out of them. Uh, some examples we came up with unstoppable villains, Lovecraft's Elder Gods. Now, granted, in those cases, they can be kind of foiled or delayed, but you can't really defeat them. Yes, I know in one of the spinoff stories, they actually did kill Cthulhu, but that wasn't one of Lovecraft's own writings. Right. And, and Generally, it's, it's about keep them asleep. Yes. Don't let them wake up, and you're dealing with the cultists that want to wake him up. Another example we came up with before they, at least in Wayne and my opinion, overdeveloped them, the Borg were this way. There was delaying them, there was running from them, there was frustrating them, but there was really no stopping them until they gave them queens well, I, and all yeah, kinds of other ridiculous I, crap. I'm not a Star Trek sure. our Star a Star Trek expert. Could the board be reasoned with? No. No. Okay. They so were, does that put them in category one then? Oh, sure. And I'm sure lots of villains would fall into multiple categories. Okay. I guess what I'm hoping to give here with these categories is if somebody finds throughout the course of their games that they're stuck in a rut. Mm-hmm. You know, here's maybe some new inspirations for types of villains. Yeah, with the exception of the Borg, for the most part, I don't like the unstoppable villains. It's not something that I would typically work with because I would be afraid of that frustration. Oh, absolutely. I know I would be frustrated if I was in a game and I knew there was something out there that I want to go kick this in the face. Yeah. But there's no chance I will ever do this in the course of this campaign. Or I think at any rate, you have to move the goal. If you can't stop it, then you have to be able to escape it, to be able to mitigate it. Just find something, because I'm with you, Wayne, in that I think you can tell an interesting story and have an interesting game where failure is inevitable. But I think if this goes on for too long or becomes too much of the meat and potatoes of the games you're telling, it would I have to know it going in. Fast. 
would love doing more Cthulhu games and things like that, knowing going in that I'm probably, my character is going to die or go insane. I would love playing those, but I want to know that's what I'm playing when I go in. Mm. I don't want to start playing something and then find out that's what's going on. Right. It's actually one of my biggest critiques against horror movies is, especially these franchise-type horror movies, is the fact that the villain is ultimately so undefeatable. You know, I I realize a lot is just motivated by, hey, sequels make cheap money, but Sometimes I sit through these horror movies, and by the end of them, I'm like, why did I just watch this? I mean, this this was entirely masturbatory. We started with a problem, and we ended with the exact same problem. And really, in most horror movies, the characters aren't deep enough for any significant character development to have occurred. There was one that I thought actually was going somewhere, and then it didn't. What was the uh, trilogy? It was about those creepy... Japanese kids that were dead and kept making that like low throaty noise. It wasn't the ring. No, it wasn't the ring. That yeah, was the, the videotape because uh, the grudge, the grudge is the name of the movie oh, with Buffy. Yeah. yeah. I never saw past the first one. I didn't know it was a trilogy. Yeah. And it just keeps on going and all the way up to the end of the series. That's, that's the punchline is that there's no stopping this. It just keeps occurring. It keeps occurring. And it's kind of, where's this going? All right. Third type. This is where we're starting to get into the, more gray stuff. The ends justify the means, or we could also re-describe this as people who think they're good and maybe have an arguable case they are. Ozymandias from Watchmen. He kills hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people. In my mind, and I know some people can argue this, but in my mind, I think the guy's absolutely a villain. But he has a case that the ends justified the means. Another one I could give you would be Sandman from the third Spider-Man movie. Sandman, yes, he was a bank robber. Yes, he was hurting people. But he was out getting money to provide treatment for his daughter. Now, did they specify the condition she had? I don't know if they did. But I don't it was implied she had some kind of childhood cancer or something like that. And so this wasn't somebody who was per se abjectly evil, but they were doing evil things for a cause that is at least arguably good. I don't remember if we put him in this category or not, but I would say Magneto could fall into this category. You know, from his perspective, he is trying to prevent genocide of his own species. But he's willing to do that through preemptive attack. Yes. So, I mean, well, yeah, exactly. But no, I'm completely with you. He falls into multiple categories. Right. A lot of the villains do. I think a lot of the really good villains will fall into multiple categories. Of I this. think they do. And I think that's true for two reasons. I think one is because the closer a villain is to realistic, the more relatable they are, the more compelling they are the more fascinating they are because you kind of put yourself in their shoes and real people are complex. And the second thing is because of the fact that it makes you question yourself. They become almost like a funhouse mirror by which you see your own urges. You see your own darkness. You kind of see these parts of your mind that maybe aren't settled or that maybe you've never fully tested out because you've never had to. Right. And you see yourself in that. Right. And I, and I think that that's very true. I mean, for example, I mean, what would Pat do if, you know, he and Beth were out of work and the kids needed food, they needed medicine, they needed shelter. Porn. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But you get stretched to that limit and desperation mm-hmm. sets in, and then right. eventually those moral lines begin to blur. And I, I agree that makes a much more compelling well, and, and interesting villain to Whether to, they, to they're the hero or the villain sometimes is a matter of perspective in yeah. that case. Let's look at it, the Disney movie Aladdin. No, <laughs> no, we won't, Wayne. No. <laughs> Do not besmirch Aladdin for me. He is... Never seen it, don't care. <laughs> wow, really? I haven't actually seen it. He is a... 
thief because he has to steal to eat. But he's the hero of the movie. Well, Ant-Man, they they changed yeah. him in the movie, but in his origin story, the Scott Lang Ant-Man was actually stealing to get money to treat his daughter. Like you were saying before, his daughter was sick. I, he needed to steal the money for her treatments. So it's the same thing but on a, on a good guy scale. It's like he's a good guy, but this his checkered past. Now, the Irredeemable Ant-Man, completely different series. Oh, sure. That's a guy who stole the suit to survive. Mm. And what he ends up doing with it is just do things like shrink down and uh, wait around in the women's locker room oh, yeah. of the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier. That's me. That would be me. <laughs> no. Yeah. The fourth time we came up. I know, it's hard to believe. The fourth time we came up with is the fallen hero. Somebody who was on a good path and therefore has a lot of things, at least historically, going in their favor. But somewhere along the way, something made them go bad or drove them to go bad. Uh, Darth Vader yep. is an obvious example of this. Uh, we could do one that's more real history. Benedict Arnold. Right. If you read the history that's of Benedict exactly Arnold. the example I was going to get. Yeah, he has a fairly interesting story in terms of what drove him to turn against America during the Revolutionary War. And so you have fallen heroes, these people who did great things, who are on the righteous path. But then what is it that happened that made them turn away from that? That made them, I apologize, I don't mean by setting this up, but it's not like England is <laughs> equivalent to the dark side of the force. But my point is from the, the standpoint of the American story, right? You know, he's a guy who, who flips sides. Wait a minute. In Star Wars, all the Imperial officers have English accents. Yeah. Duh. I didn't realize that was deliberate. <laughs> the fifth kind is the madman someone who does what they're doing because they do not understand what they're doing the madman could be someone who is mentally ill this could be someone who's being manipulated or who is delusional the most obvious example in fiction is the joker if you look at something in real history you look someone like sirhan sirhan who swears up and down. Yeah, I know. Yes, Broder, I know there's conspiracy <laughs> theories. Fear the Buddha is not going to evaluate these. But the point is, what nobody really seems to doubt is that something was not right in that dude's head. Yeah, you get your serial killers, your your John Wayne Gacy's yeah. and your Dahmer's, et cetera. Or, yeah, something your is... Eileen Warnos. And, Jack the Ripper. Right. Where people are doing what they're doing because there's something truly wrong with them. Now, I do also realize, let me give this as a caveat, that a lot of fictional madmen are not well portrayed in the sense that their insanity does not look much like real-world insanity. And I want to stress here that, of course, mental illness does not equal evil, and evil does not equal mental illness. But certainly people who are mentally ill could have their delusions or their psychiatric problems manifest in such a way that they do terrible things. But that's not usually how madmen are portrayed within fiction. Usually it's a much more cartoonish, much more absurdist sort of, of insanity. But you could choose to make it more realistic. Depends on right. where and you I, want to go with this. And I think sometimes people just fall down, right? They just get pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And eventually society bears down on them and their family life bears down on them. And then eventually their boss bears down on them and they snap and they break company policy. <laughs> <laughs> that's all i'm saying <laughs> but you do you have i mean generally with the mentally ill people there right. there is something there that's that's wearing and eating and eating sure and uh, eventually they just give in to it i still think he's a hero not a villain but falling down no no, no that's yeah, exactly the that reference was i was thinking as he describes it well, yeah for sure that's why i say we everyone jokes at my job that someday i will fall down <laughs> so 
And maybe that day will be soon. Uh, number six, someone who is simply selfish or greedy. The bank robber who robs a bank because he just wants to be rich. It's that straightforward. Yeah, I would say power craving villains. A lot of them fall into this category. Power, fame, prestige, reputation, money. There are any number of things they could be after, but they simply chase something. They do it in a horrible way because they want something that is not rightfully theirs. I don't think I have to give you examples because this, at least on some level, describes a whole lot of villains, arguably all of them. Right. But when when you want to give them depth, though, you can make it a slow burn. I mean, they're the people who are always greedy out of the gate, power hungry out of the gate. But I think more realistically, there's a the, the you know, combine that with the fallen hero concept where you have someone who is generally moral and good but then starts to get a taste of the quote-unquote good life. And they're willing to sacrifice more and more of themselves, their soul, their morality, to get a bigger, better slice of that power base or that wealth. To give an example of this, I'm going to put something really unusual. Slick Rick, the song Bedtime Story. Slick Rick is a uh, rapper from like old school hip-hop. Oh, yeah. He's got a song called Bedtime Story, which is about how a kid starts doing like really low-level petty thefts and then ends up in gunfights with the cops and it kind of walks through his story and it's it's you know a somewhat silly story but at the same time it's not it's deadly serious i mean he's making a real point about how people become addicted to the adrenaline addicted to the promise of what's out there chasing things that it's only a single line but to grab another rap song uh ti when he says you're unhappy with the riches because you're piss poor morally none of you guys have read the dresden file series have you no. i have re- i just finished the 13 ghost stories okay the 13th book. so i yeah. think they have a lot of villains that I think would fall in this category, but the one that jumps out to me is the Denarians, mm. where I love them. The whole nature of them is temptation with power to get you to accept the power. Once you accept the power, you're taken over, and then you go into a whole different class of villain. Right. But it's all about that power temptation. Well, you're in a bad situation. I can give you the power to get past this. You just have to give up a little bit more. Right. Yeah, I can't believe I'm about to cite this, but in some interpretations of Ravenloft, that's how Ravenloft works. The land is evil, but the land is also seductive. But the more you give into it, the worse you become until eventually, at least in the older rules, I don't know if this is still the case, because generally speaking, Ravenloft is terribly run. But eventually you just lose control of the character. The character becomes an NPC. But along the way, you get all kinds of incentives to keep doing it. It's like high-level corporate management. (laughs) 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 number seven it's personal this is someone who may not overall be a villain but they have some issue with you personally that will drive them to do really bad things and you know what maybe you deserve it maybe you slept with their wife but they're willing to burn down a city to get to you examples we had of this and i realize some of these guys are not really good but their main motivation is still personal venom uh, in that yep. his thing is especially in the 90s when they were doing the lethal protector thing you know he was protecting the innocent but he still wanted to kill spider-man yeah uh khan is another example okay khan was an evil horrible person but his motivation at least in the wrath of khan was absolutely personal you know he was after kirk because he hated kirk as a person if kirk was dead he i don't think he even knew what to do with himself pre-crisis lex luther he hated Superman because Superboy made him bald. Are you serious? Is that really the backstory there? Yeah. When they were in Smallville together as friends, Superboy 
was responsible for him going bald in an experiment gone bad. And that's why he became the evil future Lex Luthor, was hated Superboy because Superboy made him bald. Wow. How do bald people everywhere feel about this? (laughs) They hate Superman. Obviously, when they rebooted, they changed Lex Luthor a lot and made him a better character. But that was his original motivation. Man, wow. That's cold. I have to admit, I I had no idea, and that is one of the stupidest things I have ever heard. (laughs) Yes. It was pre-crisis. That's no excuse. There were a lot more stupid things in pre-crisis. You know, I'm trying to think of other characters who have gone violent because they were going bald. And outside of a midlife crisis, the only one I'm coming up with is Samson. (laughs) (laughs) And to follow that one, you have to know something about what a Nazarite is, which is not a Nazarene, and what the Nazarite vows are. But anyway, uh, number eight, pure abject evil they are the embodiment of the moral definition of evil they're evil because they're evil because they're evil this comes up most often in fantasy sauron is an example orcs are an example drow are an example within obviously there are plenty of religious examples of this satan is an example but things that are evil simply because that is their nature they're evil for the same reason that water is wet it is just an intrinsic property of what they are I always find those potentially the most boring of villains. Now, they can be done very interesting. You can do something really good with them. I've never liked that as a motivation. The best thing about them, which is also the worst thing about them, is they are completely uncomplicated for the person who is facing them. Mm. You don't have to worry that the Illithid are going to repent and take the high road. You don't have to feel bad about stabbing Sauron. They're very, very uncomplicated and I think as a player, that can make them fun. That can make them stress relieving. But I agree with you in that if that is the primary motivating force of the story, once again, it's not about the character drama or some secondary concern like how do we save this town of people we care about from the orcs? If it's simply how do we kill the orcs? Right. But you have to make it pure, right? You have to make it a pure, dark, sort of one note evil. But then it cannot also be an unstoppable evil, right? Sauron needed minions. Satan yep. needs minions. They have influence and they have that seductive power we were talking well, about. And I think the best way to play something like that, if it is incredibly powerful, using Satan as an example in different forms of movies and media, that leads into the other one we've already talked about. Basically, the slippery slope villain, the I'm getting more power, I'm getting more ability and uh you know becoming evil like that a movie that i love that i don't think most people like was uh devil's advocate the redheaded chick at the end was ridiculously uh, hot yes uh, yes she was you have to watch this <laughs> oh side note best representation of satan in a movie or show your favorite go around the table dan you first you can think about it if we need to come back yeah to come it. back to me i'm gonna have to think okay. about that i one. don't know the actor's name but the tv show was reaper yeah, I think it's Ray. Palmer. I want to say Ray Palmer. But I don't know. That was my favorite. <laughs> but you're right. He's my favorite on television show. Also, uh, George Burns. Oh God, you devil! Or Oh God, you devil! Very good. And then lastly, Elizabeth Hurley in Bedazzled. She's fucking hot. Al Pacino is the devil in uh, Devil's Advocate. Okay, yeah, you're right. I actually haven't seen that. I'm going to watch it now. I love Al Pacino. I I really. Brother, like do you have who's your so, favorite? So so John Carpenter did a movie, Prince of Darkness. 
So in Prince of Darkness, there is this vial in the basement of a church, right? And all of it's very, very sort of Lovecraftian in that this group of experts get called together to try to figure out what this is and contain it. And essentially, it's liquid evil. It's just pure, unadulterated, mindless, liquid Satan. And it's corrupting everything around it. And that, that one is my favorite. In gaming terms, it's page 32 of the Book of Vile Darkness, Dark Speech. Okay, I've never read Book of Vile Darkness. It is, it is a language so old that it is utterly, utterly evil. If I knew dark speech, I could go over to a door that was blocking a hallway and my barbarian was exhausted because he's fatigued from you know too much rage yeah. and he can't tear down the door. And I simply go and I whisper words of evil to the door and I weaken it so that someone <laughs> else in the party can simply knock it down. It's brilliant. Yeah, they've got all sorts of really cool stuff in that book, but Dark Speech is my favorite gaming ethos. Awesome. Ray Wise is the actor's name, and if you have never seen this guy, you should watch it just to see Ray Wise's depiction of the devil. It is, yep. I, I have to say it, it's, it's, it it's is my favorite, swarmy. it's my best, it's, I think it's one of the best interpretations of Satan that it, you can get. It is the swarmy, beautiful bastard. Yeah, it was a uh, he was Laura Palmer's father. Yeah, I would say he was he was yeah. from Twin Peaks. That's yeah. where he sorted where he first came yeah. out. So people will know him from yeah. there. Now he was great in Reaper. Oh for yeah. Sure. Oh my yeah. god. He's the best thing about that show. I'm drawing oh, yes. a blank, and the reason for it is the fact that I don't. Sock was the second best thing in that show. Mm. I don't know that I've ever seen a depiction of Satan that I have liked. Because well, and I'm not saying I, no, no. I don't mean getting I don't mean the whole. We don't like Satan. No, right, right. I don't know. mean that. I mean that I have appreciated is what I mean. I don't uh, mean liked as in like I was getting off on. I mean that. Mm-hmm. But I mean liked yeah, as in like. <laughs> but I mean liked as in uh, I think part of my problem is that it's exactly what we're talking about. When people draw out Satan, they want to make him a character, and to do that, you have to give Satan, I think, too much complexity. You have to overcomplicate what he represents. And it's interesting to see where that comes from historically, because if you actually look at what's in the text of the Bible about Satan, it's actually very little, very little said about Satan. A lot of what we hold today, supposedly as, you know, a lot of people say, what is the Christian view of the devil? And they tell you all this stuff. It's actually nowhere in scripture. A lot of it comes from various sources, including older Gnostic texts or medieval superstitions. I mean, it's just all over Mm. the place. And I think that's part of my problem with the images of Satan is he's always incredibly seductive to man and never quite hateful enough. And I think an image of Satan that really fits more what I would expect, something that is much more rage, you know, much more destruction, that there's an appeal to him, but the appeal to him is not because he's truly beautiful, it's because there's a part of our own hearts that is dark. Mm-hmm. He's A part of him is beautiful because we ourselves are evil. And he kind of represents the worst of what we would want. Yeah, come on, buddy. You didn't do anything wrong. It's all right. Everybody feels the way you feel. Yeah, I mean, imagine if just in that moment of absolute rage, you know, somebody's done something to you that's pissed you off more than anything else in your entire life. Oh, yeah. You know, if you could just snap your fingers, that person would spend a week in torment. That, to me, is the attraction of the devil. You know, it's not... You don't care for the... uh, South Park in a relationship with Saddam Hussein. <laughs> oh, come on. Uh, oh, my God. That, that was what made me think of it. Just the, fra- the way you phrase that. Saddam. <laughs> All right. Number nine uh, is people who appear evil because of either differing moral priorities or differing perspectives. All right. So people who look at the world and they simply weigh things out a different way. 
example we came up with is Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor, at least in later incarnations of him, believes that he is protecting the human race against what may be subjugation at the hands of a very powerful alien or aliens. And he's protecting us all from becoming bald. We just learned <laughs> yeah. this. I'm, uh, I, I f***ing agree. As a man who God has, damn it. Even the version that... <laughs> so even the version that actually <laughs> acknowledges that Superman is here for good things, they even then can play on the aspect of, well, he's making humanity weak. Humanity's letting him solve all their problems for yeah. them, and they need to be stronger than this. That was yeah. how the Justice League cartoon series started off, was Superman's like, look, you guys don't need all these weapons. I'm here to protect you. And then these aliens invade, and humanity has nothing to fight them with. But differing moral perspectives are different priorities. There's something they're trying to accomplish that is arguably good, but it clashes with the way that you would want things to go or the lines you are willing to cross. This one could really be played out well in a war game where you have two countries that are at war, but they're at war for what they're at war for. You're dealing with soldiers on the ground fighting against each other. These are people that they support their country. Yeah. They're not in, you know, they just have a different view of the people they're fighting. You throw them into an interesting situation where they can't fight each other. Enemy mine. Oh, yeah. That's a great Enemy enemy. Mine or the movie it was based on. Yeah, either of those. Yeah. I mean, those are perfect examples of you take two people on the opposite side of a war who have only gotten propaganda about the other side, throw them together and see what happens. And, you know, come to realize that each one is the hero of their own story and the villain of the other. Number 10 is someone who is simply panicked or in a very base fight or flight sort of mode. All right, some examples we came up of this. Skynet launches the nukes because people try to kill it. What would a Skynet have done if people hadn't tried to kill it? I don't know. The Matrix. Hmm. Humanity blocks out the sun to try to stop the machines, so the machines make them into batteries, even though it makes no logical sense that that's the best way to power themselves. Uh, Yeah, the entire (laughs) set of laws of thermodynamics gets thrown out by that. Somehow you can feed humans for less energy than they would produce. Right. How does that work? I, I think we've discovered another type of villa. The that would fall under the unstoppable kind. Bad plot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, poor writing. Yeah, poor writing or mm. poor understanding of science. Oh, that one always is a killer. But other examples we came up with for this were the Zindi and Star Trek Enterprise. They were fighting humans because they were told that at some point in the future, humans would wipe them out, which was a lie. But they felt that the future of their species depended upon preempting humanity and destroying Earth. And so you had the Zindi there. Uh, This is one that we came up with kicking around the table. The Doomsday device from Star Trek, the original series. Oh, yeah, baby. (laughs) Which in the original series, all they said was it was a super weapon. They didn't really know where it came from. There was a novel later where they retconned that to say that the Doomsday device was a last-ditch effort by an alien race to stop the Borg. And the only reason it was going through Earth was because that was on the way to Borg space. The fanatic. Someone who is so tied to a system of beliefs that their own rigidity is leading them to do terrible things. Uh, From comic books. Actually, all these are from comic books. Probably because to go anywhere but comic books, we'd have to take the show directions that's not meant to go. So if you want to start with one that's not from comic books, uh, look at Firefly. Serenity, you know, the the movie. Yeah. One of the main villains in there is a guy that is fanatical. He truly believes in, in the government that he's working for. He understands they do horrible things and they've done horrible things, but he believes in them 
beyond a shadow of a doubt, and he will do whatever it takes to protect them. Yeah, and let me stress here that this is a fanatic in the sense of being tied to an idea or some kind of abstract, like an organization. Mm -hmm. We'll come back to being tied to a specific person in a minute. But why additionally, you say Firefly from comic books, Apocalypse, Survival of the Fittest. Yeah. Ra's al Ghul, who's basically an eco-terrorist. Propagate and make hot daughters. That's (laughs) That's that's (laughs) totally. You know, actually, going back to number six was selfish. What I thought about here, this comes up in a couple of places in Star Trek. Someone who's evil because of the fact that they're bored. This also comes up in fantasy a lot of times because you have somebody who's immortal and they eventually just get tired of the routine. And so they start creating chaos. And I put this under selfishness. It's the desire for Mm -hmm. entertainment. I need to pull the wings off of flies. Yeah. 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 Number 12, they need something selfish. Okay, so this is different from being selfish purely for selfishness' sake. This is somebody who has a need for something that we would accept the need is legitimate and real, but them getting it causes problems for us. Galactus? Galactus, Unicron was the one I came up with. Unicron wants to eat your planet. Unicron has to eat your planet to live, or eat a planet to live. So Unicron, at least in that level of his motivation, is not per se beyond our understanding of a basic desire. He wants your planet for the same reason you want a loaf of bread. That is just a flaw in the design there. When you're designing a system... You have to take into account the sustainability. You don't build something that has to eat fucking planets to, to survive. There could be a lot of planets. I mean, there's one universe. Yeah, but there's the still planets. I mean, planets are planets. The planets have people on them and organisms and shit. Yeah. What happens when there's one planet <laughs> Is that a scientific left? opinion that people exactly. have organisms and shit? That's right, man. <laughs> I'm going to create a biology uh, textbook, and that's going to be its title. Is <laughs> people and organisms and <laughs> A survey of molecular biology. I love it. That's awesome. I would have taken that course. It's like the last slice of pizza in the box. Galactus and Unicron are both reaching out for Earth, you know? They yeah, man. That, I mean, come on. Want to get that last, you know, pile of you know, And that's and how you take whatever. care of it. I mean, honestly, you know, when you've got like this, you just do. You you put Galactus, you, you fling Unicron in there together and let them fight it out. And then Earth just sort of goes along its way. The only problem is in 12 months, we'll be right back there in the middle of them again. And that sucks, but shit, you know, just hopefully it keeps going forever. And, you know, yeah. oh, there we go. Some Ooh, versions oh, there they are again. Some versions of vampires fall under this. Like, the ones uh, that sparkle? They need to feed. Like Morbius from Spider-Man. Yeah, they need to feed. And it just so happens what they feed on is you. The 13th one, I guess it's fitting we came up with 13 of these. The 13th one that we had is the devotee. Someone, and this is similar to the fanatic, but instead of being fanatical to an idea... They are fanatically devoted to an individual. Right. And if that individual wasn't evil, they probably wouldn't be evil either. But they have become so myopically obsessed with a person that they will follow and express all that person's whims. Harley Quinn is an obvious right. That's example. That's the first one that popped yeah. in my mind as well. Uh, Horseman of Apocalypse was the next one. Mm, yeah, that's a good one. I mean, it's so obvious to go to comic book ones. We really have struggled to come up with some outside of comic book because they're the easiest to go to yeah we did thinking villains. in almost all of these we had at least one example not all of them but almost all of them we had at least one example outside of comic books so i think we did pretty good there what would you consider the ring race oh that's a good question well would they see. be devotees or would they be are they devotees no, or are they simply more nature they're an, or... ext- they're an extension thereof they're a, an avatar a manifestation i think yeah i think well if i know i, I be, 
Uh, my reasoning behind this is that they they don't have free will because of the rings of power. They've that, been subjugated you know, by Sauron. That's actually why and made to do what they're doing. They're, I wouldn't even call them devotees. They don't have a choice. They're the just category. I would put them under because of that is mentally deranged. Yeah, they, something. I, I, yeah, they could arguably devotees. They could arguably be just the pure abject evil. Same category. Satan. I mean, the ring race. They don't have moral quandaries. Right, but you, cannot, you, you cannot reason with them, right. so they fall. I mean, they could arguably fall in category. Well, you, I, think you could yeah. reason with, I thought you could talk to them. There just was no changing their mind. They were just so corupted. I don't there was think no they were ever talked them. to right. in the canon books. They're the not really mouth talked of Sauron to. could be spoken to. Well, the mouth of Sauron was a human. Yeah. Well, he was a whatever northern human he was yeah a, he was a he was a i forget the whatever race, the hell but, it is that uh but he was he is. was not he was not supernatural anyway he was he was a regular person yeah it was a, it was a fallen form of the numenor yeah it was yeah. whatever that was called i, I can't yeah, remember blanking on their names too you know we've talked about vader in a lot of these vader could potentially fall into this category as, as well as a devotee to the emperor exactly yeah especially in return of the jedi yeah. his uh focus was so much on what the emperor wanted and whatever mm-hmm. Well, and they did set that up. They they at least set that up in the prequels. I mean, yeah, I mean, even more so in the prequels than yeah, in the later they ones. They show him He's... being the you know the, the devotee to the emperor. Holy crap! I'm Vader. Yeah, you are. How do you figure that? I just realized because I you know a devotee to the emperor, I'm just a soulless, mindless, <laughs> obedient servant <laughs> mm-hmm. to my dark master. <laughs> so did you throw him down the reactor today? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly. <laughs> Too heavy. Uh, All right. So I guess that's where we're going to wrap this one up. These are our 13 categories of villains. If you tend to draw for a few of these, maybe we've given you something new to think about. If you've got your own comments, questions, whatever, obviously you know how to reach us. Forums, Facebook, Twitter, Google+. Yeah. We're everywhere you want to be in several places you don't. And yeah. in the meantime, the sure check the show notes. Usual stuff here. We got the... Battletech giveaway still going on. And then also I'm going to let Chris be as capricious as he wants on Twitter with giving away a copy of Dark Souls. Big thanks to Nathan for that. And also Nathan wanted me to pass along that at the next Fear of the Con, Churcher will be running Traveler in all six slots for as many people as can sign up. (laughs) And then Chris will also be giving away five Xbox codes courtesy of Tex. And I'll let him once again decide. And I will make Chris tell you guys on Twitter at least a little bit, maybe. I don't know, maybe I won't. So... Thank you guys for tuning in. You have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2015. Listeners are free to use this show in any non-commercial endeavor as long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the Pulp Gamer Media Network of Shows. You can find other great shows in this network at pulpgamer.com.